Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Hey everybody, it's Barry. Again, my apologies for not putting out the podcast in the regular fashion this week. It's been a tough week. I've had the hiccups for five straight days, but they finally went away, and thank you for all your suggestions. I greatly appreciate it. And I'm actually on here because I wanted to present to you a special interview that I did with John Ferreter, who just passed away around the time of my birthday, and he was younger than me. Really special man. I consider him the Jerry Maguire of agents. I have so much respect for what he did, what he accomplished, and I'd like to honor his memory by presenting this interview to you. I kind of came up with a thing the last couple of years, and I realized everyone's wanting to assess blame in the entertainment industry. Whose fault is it? It's your fault. It's your fault. Whose fault? You know, someone's at fault here. And I started going, well, what, what does it mean when you're at fault? So I got to make fault a positive word. I don't want it to be negative anymore. So to me, fault, I'll be at fault. The F in fault is going to be forgiveness. The A in fault is going to be acceptance. The U in fault is going to be understanding. The L in fault is going to be love or loyalty. And the T in fault is going to be trust. So I'll be at fault. You want to blame someone? Blame me. I can handle it. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You're fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I'm very, very happy and excited to be here today because I am here with John Ferreter. And if you don't know who John Ferreter is, Google immediately. I'm going to introduce him properly, but John has been an unbelievable mainstay in the entertainment business for probably over two decades, where he was a guy who was very, very involved in climbing the ladder of one of the greatest agencies in the world, William Morris, which is now William Morris Endeavor, ran an amazing company and all their endeavors in the entertainment and non-scripted fields at Octagon and now runs his own company called The Alternative. But before I start with the cold open, which I always like to do, and I always look at the person and think about what I'm going to say. So as I'm gathering my thoughts, I just want to thank all of you so much for your support of the podcast. I'll say it every time, whether you want to shut it off or not. I'm grateful it's because of you that this podcast goes, and it's had an amazing impact in the emails and the letters and the FedExes and the tweets and what I get from everybody are just mind-boggling. And I just, very, very humbling. 
I also want to thank all of you for going on that fabulous Amazon banner on the website, which supports the Jewish Boy Cats College Fund, and it doesn't cost you anything. So thank you again so much. And without further ado, I look at John Ferreter, and this is what I think, everybody, because there's a lot of things that you don't know about certain people, and maybe you're not familiar with the stories of what people go through. But John Ferreter was always a guy that I looked at when he was at William Morris as somebody who I thought to myself, God, if only I could get a show going that this guy would be excited about. Because as you'll see in his introduction, he's been a part of the fabric of some of the most successful non-scripted shows in the history of television. And he was always a guy who was an amazing hard worker. And the reason why I'm so shocked that he's sitting down with me here, because I've never known him in his life to shut off his phone for an hour or 90 minutes. Even when he's sleeping, I can guarantee you that that phone is not off and it's by his bed and he probably wakes up at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, wakes up to go to the bathroom and probably looks at it while he's peeing at 4 o'clock in the morning. So the fact that he's giving me this time is incredible. And one of the things that you don't realize when you're idolizing a guy and looking at him and thinking, my God, how does this guy do it? How does he make it work? How does he keep going? You don't realize the adversity that certain people go through. And I think the most important thing that I see in these podcasts are the issues of what people go through that are sort of being the public eye, but you don't know what happens. You don't know how people go through them, what they go through. And I remember at the end of the first decade of the century, John was always a guy who had an amazing opinion, never afraid to say what he felt. And when you're working at a place like William Morris, you're at a company that's been around for over a hundred years and it's been run a certain way and there's a certain board of directors and there's a mentality about how things go and there's a protocol about how things go. But I remember back around 2008 or 2009, John was in a situation where he was very involved in the discussions about how the company should position themselves in the future regarding a possible merger with another tremendous agency called Endeavor, which at the time was run by a number of great people, Ari Emanuel being one, Patrick Weitzel. And William Morris was run by a group of people as well who had been around the business a long, long time. And there were discussions about whether they should merge with Endeavor or not. And John, because he was the head of William Morris in terms of non-scripted or one of the heads, he was privy to those conversations. And I remember through the grapevine and through rumblings within the community that he was having what I'd like to call a Jerry Maguire moment where he felt a certain way about how the company should go. And he wasn't afraid to give his opinion that he didn't think the merger was something that was a good idea, or at least he felt that he wasn't going to be in a position to come out and support it wholeheartedly. And throughout things that happened, I remember a day in 2009 where I had heard that John was no longer going to be with the company, which was shocking because he'd been so involved. He'd done so many great things. He'd had so many great relationships. But whatever the navigation or whatever was discussed internally after he voiced his opinion that they shouldn't go through with this merger, he was no longer at the company. And if you're a high-profile guy and you've done a great job in the business and you've had relationships with people all through town and there's an announcement that comes out that you're no longer with the company, that is a unbelievably devastating blow because you don't have control over the publicity. You don't have control over the spin that's out there. And you're in a situation where you are beholden to the powers that be of the sausage factory that can 
print out anything they want and people read things and they believe them to be gospel. And so John was in a situation where it was taking a huge toll on him, stress-wise, health-wise. He was in the hospital. And it's public knowledge that he filed a $25 million lawsuit against William Morris. And when you file a lawsuit against somebody, that is a huge blow. Because when you're in a situation in this town, let's face it, if you're a guy who owns another company and you want to hire somebody, you don't want to hire a guy who's slinging a $25 million lawsuit out there. So by doing so, John put himself in another risky position, which he's done his whole career, and he took a stand. He took a stand for himself. He took a stand for other agents out there in the business who had been unceremoniously treated in a certain way. And he fought. And when you fight in a lawsuit like this, there's a huge cost to it. You don't just file a lawsuit and it's like, oh, let me file. It's $1,000 here. And let me pay this guy who's Uncle Joe's attorney from Peoria, Illinois. You have to hire people that cost serious money. And when I'm talking serious money, I'm talking between $500 and $1,500 an hour for lawyers to do their job. And believe me, these lawyers that do the job, they're not doing it like they're running a sprint. They're taking their time, and it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars that you have on the line. And companies like William Morris or Coca-Cola or big companies, they have lots of money to burn. But when you're an individual, no matter how well you've done, it takes its toll. But John fought it, and he went to court. They decided to go to a mediator. But what happens oftentimes, big companies make a decision how far they're going to go with something where it could be damaging to them, and it could be in a situation where word gets out of certain things. And oftentimes these things never go the final distance, and they settle. And fortunately, in 2012, for John Ferrer, William Morris settled with him, and he was able to get some kind of long-deserved recognition and fulfillment with inside him that whatever happened within those walls that was unspoken and whatever job he did for the company throughout all those years that was so successful, he was rewarded for. But let me tell you something. If you're an agent and you represent artists and you leave a company or a company tells you to go, there are certain artists that are going to be like, thanks, John, for all the work, but I'm going to stay with William Morris. But then there's other artists who decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to be like Cuba Gooding Jr. I'm going to stay with Jerry. But then you go in the hospital and you're in the hospital. You can't control what's happening in the hospital. You're not working in the hospital. And artists are worried. They're scared. They have mortgages. People are talking to them. Hey, you're going to stick with John? He's in the hospital. Or, you know, we can start working for you right now. And I can guarantee you during that time, not every client that was with John probably stayed with him because they were worried about themselves. And when they went off and did their own thing, again, more devastating blows. But John came out of the hospital, out of the settlement, and sure enough, there was an announcement in the trades that he had taken over a position at Octagon to run all production, non-scripted, all areas of that entertainment company. And when I read that, I was like, yeah, this shows you, everybody, that you can go through adversity. You can go and do things that people feel are going to be hurtful. But if you're true to yourself and you believe in yourself and you bet on yourself, you can always be in a position to take things to the next level. Yes, there's hard times. Yes, there's times where you might doubt yourself. But in the end, no matter how many times somebody tries to kick your legs out from under you or knock you down, if you're true to what you believe in and you know you're great at what you do and your work is undeniable, 
you are going to come back and you are going to come back even stronger with more respect and people are going to take your calls and they're always going to meet with you and you're going to sell shows and you're going to sign great clients and you're going to have the kind of career that John Ferreter has. I'd like to go way, way back okay. to where you grew up, your family life, school, friends, and what was your first inspiration that told you, hey, I want to be in the entertainment business? Good. Really good question. Uh, I was an army brat, so I grew up all over. I was born in Tacoma, Washington, lived in several places, probably 10 11 different houses that we lived in until um, I became 11. Uh, my dad retired from the Army. We lived up at Lake Tahoe uh, for a couple of years when they were kind of building ski resorts. He was involved in launching Tahoe Donner up there. I went to high school in Pebble Beach and went to college at UC Santa Barbara. It's probably sometime while I was at UCSB. Um, I was doing radio. I started doing radio broadcasting when I was in high school. Helped start a station that's still in existence up at uh, my high school, KSPB FM in Pebble Beach. I worked for a couple commercial stations at Santa Barbara. I was the program director of KCSB, and then I worked for a commercial outlet, KTMS AM and FM. And it was sometime at that point when I thought I would do something in the entertainment business. I always thought it would be in radio. And then I was at KCSB when we put Jim Rome on the air. And I remember when Jim Jim Rome, the big sportscaster. One of the most innovative and groundbreaking sports talk radio guys in history. And I remember when I was listening to Jim Rome and a couple of these other guys who were doing uh, uh, radio, I went, I can never do what those guys can do. Like, that's real radio talent. I'm a guy who likes radio. <laughs> these guys are real radio talent. And that was kind of it for me. When I said, I got to figure out something to do in the business, I had started playing in a band. We were terrible. I think we were the world's worst band for a while. Actually, that's not true. We were the world's worst band for a while. But with everything, the more you play and the more you rehearse and the more you practice, you get better. And uh, I realized I wasn't real, real good at playing other people's songs. So I would just start writing my own. And the more we wrote, the better we got started building an audience and that was one of the things that brought me down to Los Angeles because I was writing uh, recording and producing so when I moved down here in April of uh, 1988 I really thought I was going to come down and pursue a recording career or do something with the record companies I got into the agency business on a fluke I started meeting different agents around town in 1990 and I would ask everybody what do they do? What's that guy do? I was at the Universal Amphitheater. I'd be backstage there and I had friends that worked there. So I'd go to the shows for free and I, I'd see these guys. They'd all huddle in a certain area, eat a couple crackers, eat some cheese, <laughs> drink a sparkling water or a beer, probably a beer at that point before they all went AA. Um, but I'd watch how these guys dealt with other people and I'd say, who is that guy? And they'd go, oh, that's John Marks. He co-runs the music department at William Morris. He's got men at work and blah, blah, blah. And I watched these people and I, I, I liked what they did. So I thought, I can be a music agent. That's what I, you know what? And I think I applied to a couple of the agencies and everyone <laughs> said, I remember one interview where the uh, woman said, uh, your hair is too long and you look like you're wearing your father's suit. <laughs> Another thing I notice when I'm sitting across from John Ferreter, the way he dresses is classy, but he always dresses in a suit that does appear like it could be relevant 50 <laughs> years ago. Like he's wearing this incredible timeless black suit. He's got the black standard kind of shoes that could be worn today or 50 years ago. But the key tip-off is what I always love. Almost always, he wears a vest. <laughs> well, I've got to go over to the Ringo auction later. So. <laughs> and who knows? Twiggy could come walking in here. I want to be relevant. 50 years ago, 1966, 50th anniversary of Good Vibrations. 50 years of Good Vibrations. Let's <laughs> celebrate it. So, no, no the, 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 the truth is, I just, when I came to Los Angeles and I got immersed in the city, I, it just opened my eyes. And 
I started going to comedy clubs. I'd never really gone to comedy clubs. I'd seen Jay Leno because he'd drive up on his motorcycle and he'd do a club in Santa Barbara at like 7.30 at night and then he'd drive back to LA and do three clubs. So I'd seen stand-ups, but when I walked in, really about 1990, and I started going to comedy clubs and I'd go to the improv or some of these places, I mean, it was a fertile ground. You saw amazing stuff. There were some of the biggest stars of our time that were getting up on that stage and doing 10 minutes, you know, and working their material out. And so you're William Morris. You're hiding this guy's dialysis. You're learning at mock speed. How do you get your first break to be promoted to an agent? And who was your first client that people turned around as you walked in the hallway and said, what the fuck? How did he how yeah. do you do that? This is a new guy. How did he get to this point? First client was Jerry Garcia from The Grateful Dead. Holy shit. And the way I got Jerry is I picked up the phone and I called him. And I said, do you have an agent? And I knew uh, his- How could he not have an agent? He didn't. I knew his attorneys up in Marin County who handled his estate planning and his tax accounting. Here's a little tip for everybody out there if you want to be a representative. Get to know the business managers. Get to know the estate planners. Those are the people you want to get to know for your clients because your clients talk to them every day. Clients talk to their managers. They talk to their PR people. They rarely, if ever, speak with their agents, as we both know. <laughs> it's usually us as managers who have to speak to the agents and the agents. You know, there are a couple of good agents out there. There are a couple of great agents out there, but there are a lot of really bad agents, really bad that are out there. Uh, but the ones who are good are good, you know, and, and you want to be partnered with them because they're good at what they do. They're fearless and you have to be fearless. But you just have to figure out who, if you want to sign someone, who do they talk to on a daily basis? And you better be in that person's life. Tell me the non-scripted agents that you respect. The ones who basically primarily package non-scripted shows, which is more in your world. Well, it's going to sound weird because I've had different experiences and I've read so many emails. So I know how people think. And when you read someone's email... And you see different parts about their character. Because email does not reflect tone. Uh, but if you read some of that stuff, it makes it hard to respect certain people because of what they put in print. Black and white, you know, when it's in black and white, it just doesn't read well, no matter, you know, no matter what you say. Email should really be used for nine o'clock, yes, you know, Bedford and Wilshire. I mean, things that are black and white. You can preface something, like if you want a client to make more money on something, you could send an email to the people saying, listen, it's a new year. I love you guys. You're so wonderful. But I don't really think that the rate that you're paying from last year is going to work this year. And you could just say, I love you guys or whatever it is. And they could be like, oh, Jesus, that mother absolutely charging us more money again. Why won't this guy be happy? God damn it. He always makes our life so miserable. And then he throws in the I love you just to think that, hey, it's going to pacify us. It's like there's no winning. The winning is staying in the game. You go through William Morris, you're kicking ass, you start representing these people, you start putting shows together. What's the first show that you put together where people in the hallway were like, what the fuck, he did it again? Um, good question. I worked on a lot of different things, but the ones where people started turning their heads, there were specials that we would do because this was, you got to remember, in the early 90s, my job was really to take all of the clients and all the managers who were complaining and just get them work. So I was a director on a game show here. It was a sidekick on a show. It was some actor getting him a host gig. It was some host reporter getting him a radio gig. My job, I was the drain. Everything that fell down to the bottom of the drain, I collected it at the drain and then figured out, you know, where to put it all. Then I started selling various pilots and things here and there. I remember the first sitcom pilot was with a uh, Def Jam comedian named Teddy Carpenter. Of course, from Washington, D.C. Absolutely fantastic. And and Teddy would call me and uh, Teddy would always say, listen here, I got to talk to you. So I actually went out and I bought a five-minute egg timer and I had it on my desk. So whenever Teddy would call it, flip it over because I knew I had to get off within five minutes. If not, he'd go for an hour. <laughs> and I loved the guy. He was great. And I did two things with him. I sold a sitcom with him, and then he was going to be the next Arsenio Hall. 
I did a big Tribune late night deal, which ultimately didn't go to series because the guy who bought it quit, went to uh, 20th at the time. Uh, Donnie and Marie was a big one. I had inherited Marie Osmond. She was a great client. She was a very good friend. And Donnie was pitching a talk show with like Maureen McCormick or someone like that. And no one was buying it. And I met Donnie's manager and I said, if we put them back together, we can sell this and get it on the air. And she looked at me like I was the devil. She didn't want to have anything to do with me. And I said, look, you're going to get a talk show and they're going to pay Donnie like 500000 If I put Donnie and Marie together, they're going to get $2 plus a year. You know, each of them. Let's work this out. And his manager was smart at the time. And she said, if you really think you can do that. And there was an attorney involved who vouched for me. You know, basically said to the manager, John's a good guy. He's not like the rest of these guys. He'll actually do what he says he's going to do. So that was a big one. Put them together and put that back on the air. But look, there have been so many. And we went through this one period once we started selling all the non-scripted shows where it was like we were selling a show every other day. You know, Millionaire went on. I remember we all looked at the tape when it was sent over originally. It was called Cash Mountain. Went through a couple of changes, whatever became who wants to be a millionaire, bam, goes on the air. That was Michael Davies. Michael Davies was the buyer who bought it. Oh, he was the buyer. And then we went in to service the show and we gave him a list of potential hosts and Regis was on the list. And I remember they passed on Regis at first. They were like, what about Bob Costas? What about, you know, Al Michaels? They were looking at all these sports guys. And then I believe it was, oh, I forget his name, but the guy who ran the... ABC O&O's at the time, Walter something. Um, he was like, what about Regis? This will help our show. And then Michael uh, Davies, to his credit, then got religion. And he made it happen for Regis. And then he didn't like any of the producers he was meeting with. So he quit his job at ABC and became the producer of the show. Made millions, produces all kinds of shows. It was a genius move by Mike. And I always had a very hot and cold relationship with him because I had previously sold him a late night show at Buena Vista uh, with John Sally, who was going to be the other next star city. Which was a travesty of what happened to John Sally. It was a great pilot. It was cleared in almost 90% of the country. And then there was a switch to Keenan Ivory Wayans. There was a substitution. <laughs> there, was, there was a timeout. There was a substitution. They gave the deal to Keenan because they were worried about Magic's show launching. And they were afraid that if Magic worked, that would make it impossible to have two basketball players in the late night. And if Magic didn't work, it would make it impossible because people would say, we just you know tried it with a basketball player. So, yeah, that was a tough one. And Michael and I had had gone through the um, the wars on it. But the irony was we later came together and did a lot of good business. And I actually have a tremendous amount of respect for him now. He's a great producer, understands TV. He's still a fan of TV, and he makes some great shows. Yeah, and John Sally was a guest here, and it was an amazing podcast. John's great. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, and you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody, and I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. 
I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount, a $100 discount, and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like, but the air inside my house, it feels heavy at times before I got this product. And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600 and you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. I don't know anyone in my life that has flatlined and been dead for four minutes. Although we, although we have clients whose careers have been dead a lot longer <laughs> that we've been able to resuscitate. That's true. Most of the people listening have no idea what that's all about. Now, maybe you're going to tell us that you are one of the people who have no idea what's it about because there's nothing to say. There's been books that have been written. Take us through what you felt, what you remember, what you visualized during this time that they said you were dead, and how it all came back. And two-part question, how, after all these people left from Chelsea Handler to Ryan Seacrest, all these people, you're on an operating table, you're almost dead and you have to come back and how do you come back from something like that and gather yourself up and pick yourself up and do it but firstly tell us what happened on that table and what you remember or what you visualized that we would never know well after the first part then the second part of coming back is easy <laughs> so i'll explain that to you um First, I, gotta, I, I have to kick it off with a very quick story is I used to represent a psychic medium named James Van Prague. Of course. And um, the Ghost Whisperer was based on his story. A and, very difficult human being to deal with, but also a very powerful man. Yeah. And, and, and I like him. I like him a lot. Um, and I had sold his talk show to Tribune that got on the air. I'd done a bunch of stuff with James over the years. My favorite thing was when I came out of the hospital and I'm on crutches and I couldn't walk because my leg had been badly damaged. Damaged and there'd been talk of taking my leg at the time because uh, the MRSA, the infection was so bad. And the, one of the first places I went to out in public, I went to some a banquet or something. And I'm on crutches <laughs> and I'm walking through the room and I see James and James sees me and he'd heard the story about I'd been in the hospital at Flatline. And James runs over to me and kind of stands in front of me and he goes, John, John, you have to tell me what was it like? And I'm thinking... You freak, I've sold two series with you based on the fact that you were a psychic medium and you talk to the dead. You should know. You know, you're like of all people, you should know. You're the psychic medium. Um, look, here's the here's the first thing. I can only tell you what my experience is. I can't tell you what anyone else's experience is. And I can tell you this is what I believe happened because it's what the doctors told me. You know, when I asked questions, they said, Well, you were kind of out to the world. I never saw lights. You don't see any of that stuff. You do see your life flash before your eyes. It's like watching kind of a, a clicked Kodachrome, almost like the Wall Street version, you know, or the uh, graveyard scene of Easy Rider where they're walking through the thing, the acid trip. You see your life and it's very disjointed and you see a lot of people and places and things that you just haven't seen in years. And that's really what I saw. And you see everything through your eyes. So it's not like you see you doing it. You do 100% see it through your eyes. So right now I would see you. I would see how your hair falls. I would see how your, you know, your beard is, how you're holding the mic, your 
your cuffs of your shirt. It's very vivid and it's very colorful and it's very powerful. And I remember when I came out of it, the first questions I was asking, and, and I couldn't talk for about two, three days because they had to pull tubes out of my throat and all sorts of stuff. But I remember I started asking about people from my past and people kind of looked at me like, we don't know who that is. Why are you asking us about that? Now, 2009, everybody in the world wasn't on Facebook or Twitter didn't exist and all these things. If it happened to me now, I would probably go back and find all these people and say, hey, I just have this, these thoughts about you. And I've looked up some of those people. Some are dead. You know, uh, many are living. And I just felt, hey, something's telling me in the universe I need to reconnect with this person. So I'm going to reconnect with them. But you, it's like seeing a movie. It's like watching a movie and seeing all these things that you saw and they're not in chronological order. So it's almost like you float in and I see everybody sitting here and, and you know, I see the blue t-shirt you've got underneath your, you know, black and white, your black and uh, uh, red shirt. You see very vivid things and you just remember them. You remember the vibrancy to it. And then I came out of and then I really was kind of, you know, under wraps and medicated and stuff for a couple of weeks. So when I could finally talk, I wanted to talk about the dream I had. I kept thinking, I just had this dream. And man, it was a weird dream. I was back in Berlin, Germany. I was a little kid and Arnold Colville turned around and handed me a pencil for a test. You know, people I had not thought about in years and years and years. That's really what that was like. When you go through that, and I remember the day I found out I had actually flatlined, I was in the hospital. I was going to get out in a couple of days. They couldn't balance my potassium level because evidently, you know, we're like a human, we're like an engine. And if all our fluids and things aren't balanced the right way, we just go down. So I uh, was there. I had been on dialysis in the hospital, ironically, like on the same floor where Dick Howard, you know, did his dialysis. So that was weird. But um, I'm watching TV and uh, I'm watching CNN and I watch a lot of news and I'm watching CNN and they're talking about Ed McMahon who had passed away. And then all of a sudden they come on and they go, Farrah Fawcett died. And they start talking about Farrah Fawcett. She had just passed away. And I'm like, oh my God, Ed McMahon died and Farrah Fawcett died. And then all of a sudden they cut into the news and they go, Michael Jackson is dead because Michael Jackson and Farrah died on the same day. And I watched all of that and they were talking about how um, uh, the doctors had worked on Michael for like 12 minutes or something. And my doctor, one of the doctors who saved my life, uh, this great guy, Dr. Eng, walked in and he was in the room with me and we were watching the TV and we were talking. And I said to him, well, Dr. Eng, can you work on someone for 12 minutes? And they come back and he said, no, really, after about four and a half minutes or something like that, there's some form of brain damage. Um, he said, you, you know, you were out for less than that. And that was the moment I went, whoa, rewind. What do you mean I was out? And he explained it to me. And no one had wanted to tell me. So once he explained it to me, and we had this great conversation and walked through technically what it all meant and everything. It was fantastic. And then he walked out of the room and I looked at the TV and Larry King, who was a client of mine at the time, was on TV interviewing, you know, Jermaine or Tito or Reggie or Jesse Jackson or one of those people. Anyway, he's, you know, interviewing someone and I'm not even paying attention to who he's talking to. And the overwhelming thing came over me and I just broke down at that point. And I remember sitting, I was all alone, literally in the hospital. It's Larry King on the TV interviewing, you know, Action Jackson or whoever he's interviewing. So I really wasn't paying attention then. It was all blurred together. And I thought, oh, that's what happened. That's what the dream was. Wow. So, so when you come out of that and then you got to, you know, go back to work and all this stuff had taken place and I found out clients had left and everything. The first thing is I don't blame any client who left. To this day, I don't blame them. It cost me a lot of money. In some cases, it helped their career. In almost every case, it hurt their career. You know, I believe karma is a big thing. But people are going to do what they're going to do. You know, you know that. You've, you've been through this many times. Sometimes they just decide, hey, this is what I want and this is what I'm going to do. And then they go and they do it. And there's nothing you or I or anybody else can do about it. I, I, I kind of came up with a thing the last couple of years, and I realized everyone's wanting to assess blame in the entertainment industry. Whose fault is it? 
It's your fault. It's your fault. Whose fault? You know, someone's at fault here. And I started going, well, what, what does it mean when you're at fault? So I got to make fault a positive word. I don't want it to be negative anymore. So to me, fault, I'll be at fault. The F in fault is going to be forgiveness. The A in fault is going to be acceptance. The U in fault is going to be understanding. The L in fault is going to be love or loyalty. And the T in fault is going to be trust. So I'll be at fault. You want to blame someone? Blame me. I can handle it. Hey, everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. One, two, three, four, five, six, six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention somebody's name. Just tell me one word that comes to mind. Chelsea Handler. Vodka. Ryan Seacrest. Fame. Larry King. Wives. Adam Carolla. Bitter. Dick Clark. Legend. Garth Brooks. Humble. Arsenio Hall. Sidekick. Pierce Morgan. Friend. Awesome. Your proudest moment in show business. Prouder than this? <laughs> My proudest moment probably was getting Piers Morgan the CNN deal to replace Larry King. And the reason for that was the day all the crap went down at William Morris Endeavor, Piers called instantly. He was in England. And he's reading it online. So he knows none of the stuff's true. He asks me what's going on. He goes, okay, I'm going to fire him. I'm going with you. And I'm like, I don't even know where I'm going. I don't even know if I've been fired. I think I've been fired, but I don't, you know, the attorneys have to tell me whether I've been fired. He goes, I don't care. If they're going to treat you this way, I'm out. And then I went and saw Piers do an interview in England. And he interviewed a pop opera singer named Catherine Jenkins. And he was brilliant in the interview. And I said, man, you can do this. You're the one guy on the planet who's capable of interviewing, doing serious interviews with the president of France in Paris. And then you could do Paris Hilton in France and you can pull them both off. So we, we, we were like, we got to get you the top interview job we can get. And we went into CNN and we did the pitch and they bought it in the room. They basically said, he's the guy we want to do this um, amongst themselves. But we had walked out of the room because I had to get him to America's Got Talent where he was a judge for the first seven seasons. Did they consult Larry? No, but I knew they wanted to get rid of Larry because they'd had issues with him for years. But when we went into CNN, we didn't go into CNN to try to get Larry's job. We went in to try to do some interview specials for them. They had made the decision. And I remember standing right by the Time Warner Center in New York. I just put Piers in the car. He's going down to the taping. I, I don't really have a job at, at this point. I think I was just starting at Octagon and I'm trying to figure things out. And the phone rings and it was John Klein from CNN. And he said, he's our guy. Can we get him? Can you make the deal work? And I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. Not realizing, well, kind of realizing he was exclusive to Fremantle on America's Got Talent. He had exclusivity deals in England with ITV on Britain's Got Talent and all these things. And it was a morass. I, I remember going to um, going back in the office and putting up a whiteboard 
and writing all of his exclusivities and writing up a grid and saying, how do we make this work? And the NBC Fremantle America's Got Talent exclusivity was time period exclusivity also, which meant nine o'clock. And CNN wanted him for nine o'clock. And I'm sitting here and I wrote the list and I'm like, how many people do I have to convince to change contracts to do this? And there were several. You know, from Simon Cowell to Cecile Fracotez at Fremantle to Jeff Zucker at NBC, who later became his boss at CNN, to Jeff Gaspin at NBC, uh, to all the CNN people, to the ITV people. It was a lot of getting on a plane and flying to London, flying to New York, flying all over. And the main argument, I would imagine, would be this will help everybody. Yeah. And, and well, the, great, the greatest thing was, and I credit Jeff Zucker for this, is Piers and I went. And took a meeting with Jeff in uh, when he was running NBC. <clears throat> we took a meeting with him in New York, and I kept trying to get the meeting set, and I couldn't get it set with Jeff. And finally, on a Sunday morning at like 6 a.m. New York time, he shoots me an email and says, yeah, if you can be here tomorrow. And I was already in New York because I knew I had to be there if he gave us the meeting. And I called Piers. I'm like, get on a plane. Come over. I need you here tomorrow for this meeting. So Piers flies over, and we're prepping for the meeting, getting ready to go. <laughs> And we're walking down Sixth uh, Avenue, and um, phone rings, and it's Piers's uh, PA from London, and she goes, uh, "Are you in the meeting?" And I said, "No, we're not. We're just getting ready to go in." And she said, "Okay, well, just call me later." And I said, "No, no, what is it? We got some time." Well, his father's just had a stroke, so there's that human moment where you sit there and you think, "Do I not say something?" And do we go in and take the meeting? And then I go, no, no, I have to tell him. This is, you know, it's his father. It just happened. So I tell Piers what's going on. He talks to his mom, you know, realizes that he's in New York. Father's in England. There's nothing he can do. He's in the hospital. They're trying to figure things out. And Piers and I are standing in front of uh, Rockefeller Center, getting ready to go in to see Jeff. And we both look at each other. And I said, okay. I said, do you want to do this? And he said, yes. And I said, all right. No is not an option. We do not leave that room until Jeff gives you permission to do it. And Jeff was a pro and Jeff was great. And I remember he said, he, <laughs> it was hysterical. He said, I'm not going to be someone to stand in front of someone's dream if this is your dream. And then he looked at me and he said, John, we're going to extract a heavy toll <laughs> to do this. He said, and you're going to tell everybody how gracious I was to do it. So Jeff Zucker was extremely gracious at that moment. And I am forever grateful. As if it's probably not obvious, your biggest disappointment in show business. I still can't figure out why the Paula Poundstone show didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> there are too many. All the disappointments rank together. All right. Last question. What advice do you have for the young executive out there or the young artist who has a doll in a dream and wants to try to get to the next level and to fight through all the craziness and the navigation, the adversity that an executive or an artist has to get to, to get to the next level. Well, I wish I had always taken my own advice that I'm about to give, because I certainly have made mistake after mistake, but continue to learn and get better from it. The first thing is understand that you don't know everything and nobody you're dealing with knows everything. You can always learn. You can always get better. Number two, never get in a car in Los Angeles if you have to pee. And number three, and the most important, <laughs> do not sleep your way to the middle. <laughs> oh, awesome. I was expecting something totally different. John Ferreter, huge. As Jim Rome would say, fantastic. I'm so grateful you came here. This is one of the most authentic and unique and special podcasts I've ever done on Industry Standard. Thank you so much. Anytime. I thank you, Barry. Thanks so much. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner, and they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. 
Landing on Kaiser Soso, March 5th, 2019. Heading reads, thanks for the show. Five stars. And the comment is, there are some great episodes. Thank you so much, Kaiser. Congratulations. You are a winner. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKilledJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Andrew Santino. There's no one else that can make you be who you are going to become other than you. There's no one else is going to help you get to where you really need to go other than you finding your way there. Like you have to get yourself there. People can help you in your career and whatever career you're choosing, like people can support you, but you have to find out how to get there on your own. That's the only way to be successful. Just be like, what's, what is it to me? What do I need to get to? to make me feel like I'm moving in these right directions and, and achieving my personal goals. It's all about you. You're the only one that's going to get you there. People can help, but you, you have to fucking get it there. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drive that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going far. Life is for the dreamers, they have all to gain. It's never quite over, so it all feels the same. Pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.